This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. Welcome to Resource Center with Audrey Raj. Joining me on the show today is a prominent name, face and voice in the marketing fraternity. Prashant Kumar is the founder of next-gen marketing services firm Entropia, which is now part of Accenture. And he's here to give us some insights into his new book called Made in Future, which is all about the principles and applications of marketing strategy in the new age. Prashant, welcome back to Resource Center. Hey, thank you. It's lovely to be back. So Prashant, we're going to deep dive into um, this book in just a few minutes. But before we do, the last you were on my show, you called Entropia uh, an integrated marketing agency. Is that what you would still call Entropia today or has its purpose, function and outlook evolved since we last had a chat? So, you know, uh, when I founded Entropia in 2016, our vision was to create a consultancy like uh, what the consultancies do in the marketing services space and what agencies do in the marketing services space. We bring it together into one complete whole. So data, technology and creativity into one seamless conceptual and executional whole. Now, that is where last time I used the expression integrated marketing agency. I think now Entropia is a part of Accenture. If you know Accenture, uh, it is a 700,000 people organization around the world with breadth and depth of capabilities into different data, technology and strategy areas, which is absolutely unmatched. So when you put Entropia's integrated marketing commitment and you back it up, you integrate it with all the depth and breadth that Accenture has in data and technology, you find a true consultancy. So that is what we are today a true consultancy, probably one of those rare ones who can truly lay claim to that in this part of the world. Well, congratulations um, on the merger as well as on your new book, um, Made in Future. I hear uh, it's made waves in India and other parts of the region. Now, for those who haven't had a chance to take a peek, a sneak peek into Made in Future, maybe you can tell us what the book is about, what it contains, and why it's receiving such great reception, Prashant. Well, thank you. Uh, If you look at the book, I wrote the book because I felt that while there was a lot of uh, shallow digital evangelism that goes on in our industry all the time in the larger marketing services ecosystem, every little feature, every little uh, fad, every little trend gets hyped uh, to uh, unseen uh, hyperbole. Uh, And then you find a lot of traditional naysaying, a lot of... uh, Uh, books written or articles written that sort of uh, pretend as if digital never happened. But if you look at last 20 years, as a result of these two extremities, what has happened is there is a vast chasm between where marketing strategy happens, which is still stuck in the frameworks and thinking and concepts of 70s and 80s and 90s, and what actually works in the marketplace. So even though executionally people are reacting and doing things that sort of uh, need to be done, That integrity between the strategic thinking and between execution is missing. Marketing strategy as a discipline was stuck. And I felt that this book could bridge that gap, connect the big picture of business and the fundamental shifts 
in media, content, influences, and consumer expectations that have taken place in the last 20 years. So that was the intent behind the book. Now, we'll come back to marketing strategy in just a bit, but uh, I want to touch on the fact that when I last had you on the show, uh, we were a couple of days shy of the WHO declaring COVID-19 as a pandemic. You know, it was mid-February 2020. And on the show with me, you discuss marketing of the future. And you said it would encompass and hinge on four elements, uh, imagination, impact, data, and creativity. Do you still feel the same about the future of marketing, Prashant? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, creativity and imagination can be analogous, but if you uh, interpret imagination as the inventiveness, uh, going beyond uh, communicating to uh, making things, then this is the picture that continues. And if if that is what uh, the future of marketing looks like, what should a marketer of the future be like? You know, how should they equip themselves and how will they find the edge over other marketers out there? So, you know, that is a very fundamental question for our times. And thanks for asking that. Uh, The book actually has a whole uh, section on what marketer of the future looks like. So let me uh, point out a few things that I have spoken Uh, Number one, uh, I believe that with the uh, pace at which new opportunities are emerging and the way the media uh, ecosystem or the content ecosystem is evolving, uh, one of the very fundamental traits of a marketer of the future is he should be able to wear a VC hat, a venture capital hat, thinking he is a venture marketer because he is having to manage a portfolio of risks, a portfolio of opportunities with the tested and tried ones at one end of the spectrum. And then uh, there are a lot of new opportunities that have never been tested. But we know that a lot of Gen Zs and Gen Alphas and the tech-savvy people are very, very excited about those. So how do we manage the portfolio of opportunities like a venture capital guy will do? That, I think, is a very important uh, trait of a marketer of the future. How do you wear a venture marketer hat? So this is one aspect. There are many other aspects that the book talks about. For instance, one of the very uh, important gaps, uh, probably this a lot of the unlocked value and why so many marketing transformation projects fail is inability of the CTO organization to talk to the CMO organization and vice versa. Because organizations are designed in such a way that CMOs sit at one end of the spectrum, which is the soft where people meet the business, And technology sits at another end of the organization where uh, the the whole function is control-oriented. How do we bring the CMO and the CTO together into one thinking? That is another challenge that a marketer of the future is able to navigate because of his uh, higher understanding of the technology and data space so that he is able to conceive strategies that are uh, that reflect the marketing of the future. Hmm. Now, I've also heard you speak outside of the studio, Prashant, about your thoughts on marketing and sales um, and, you know, the different departments and how they need to merge. Um, what will marketing and sales look like in the future? You know, what's that relationship going to look like and how can brands adapt or begin to move towards how it looks like in the future? So, see, uh, I believe that the lines between, and if you look around, the lines between media and shop 
especially in the digital space, are blurring really, really fast. Media and the shop are just a click away today. Mm. Now, in the, uh, like say 20 years back, people used to watch what marketing puts out, the messages and stuff in the uh, on TV on a Thursday. And then on Saturday, they would go to the supermarkets and buy that stuff. Mm. But today, media and the shop are just a click away. The lines have really blurred. And that is where I feel that the lines between marketing as a discipline and sales as a discipline are becoming increasingly artificial rather than reflective of the customer realities. So uh, I believe that marketing and selling must come together to create one seamless discipline called Marcelling so they can, they can truly manage the customer experience uh, all the way into transactions and into uh, loyalty and repeat purchase and so on. So Marcelling, I believe, is one aspect of the future of marketing. Right, Marcelling. You know, I also know that creativity uh, is something that stirs a passion in you. So for the creative talent out there, what does the book say about the future for them? So uh, uh, we have tried to conceive, I have tried to conceive what the creative uh, leader of the future looks like. And uh, I put that on four key axes. Uh, Creative leaders of the future need to sit at the cusp of create, code, count and make. In the world of crowdsourced creativity, it is difficult to beat the crowds on ideas itself because, you know, you have one creative director who is competing with millions of uh, ordinary people coming up with ideas on a day-to-day basis and putting it up on social media and so on. It is just difficult for a creative director to be the most creative all the time. So the role of a creative director changes more to a curator a crafter of ideas rather than always an originator of the ideas. So that is one very important distinction. Uh, So that is the create function and how uh, it has taken a new shape. Uh, I also believe that uh, creative leaders of the future need to have basic understanding, very, very basic, at a basic level. They need to be able to uh, track and monitor the performance of the creative work that they are producing uh, so that uh, there is a greater accountability to where the money is coming from. I mean, a person no less than Steve Jobs said that real artistship. Now, on this front, it is a challenge of the marketing ecosystem to uh, as to how do they make those metrics, those count items simple for creative people to understand and internalize so that they can get real feedback uh, in real time sometimes or as soon as possible uh, in order to improve their work. The other two axes are code and make. I believe that creative leaders of the future will have a certain understanding of technology and what role can it play and what kind of uh, uh, elements they can play with. So code doesn't necessarily mean that they all need to be developers. They all actually need to code necessarily. But understanding uh, of uh, what opportunities new technologies uh, bring to add to their creative vocabulary is very important. So that is the code part. And finally, the make part, because I truly believe that, uh, especially with Industry 4.0 coming and uh, IoT is becoming so central, uh, it is important that 
creative leaders of the future have a certain understanding of how uh, new uh, things can be invented. How do you integrate a sensor with an outdoor billboard to create magic? How do you marry a newspaper with an, uh, with an extended reality experience to create magic? So it requires a certain attitude of an inventor, a maker, rather than somebody just writing a piece of copy or just uh, conceiving a press ad. So create, code, count, make. These are the four axes where I see creative leaders of the future developing themselves. Right. Okay, it's time for us to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we dive into the metaverse, um, ESG and sustainability, as well as a cookie-less future. All that and more happening on Resource Centre with Prashant Kumar from Entropia. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Business-filled minds, BFM 89.9. You are listening to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Online with me today, I have Prashant Kumar, the founder of Entropia. uh, And he's here to give us some insights into his new book called Made in Future, which is all about the principles and applications of marketing strategy in the new age. Uh, Now, Prashant, uh, since we're talking about the future, um, maybe you can uh, talk to us about the blue ocean of new customer value. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Uh, It comes at different levels, but let me uh, talk about one aspect that I have delved on a little more in the book. So you see, uh, historically, brands were made of anecdotes for thousands of years, like uh, glorious kings will be uh, fossilized into brands with the power of stories and songs and ballads and over hundreds of years, thousands of years, they became gods. So that was the power of stories anecdotes that traveled from people to people, from villages to villages, through fireside chats, town square uh, chatter or uh, highway inns and so on. Now, once mass media came into being, uh, brands were created with advertising and that was uh, a very different mechanism than what had existed for maybe uh, three to five thousand years uh, because it was highly centralized. uh, It was very, very controlled. And it was highly scalable. In the last 20 years, uh, you can look around and find a lot of brands that actually were created out of content, you know, uh, that you do not see them advertising a lot. Even if you look at the top uh, 20 brands in the world today, you find that there are so many of them that actually have not got huge advertising budgets. Those are brands created out of content, whether it's the likes of Uber or Spotify or Netflix or uh, even Google and Facebook uh, or uh, even a lot of Apple products, uh, they are brands made of content. But increasingly, we see brands made of what I call data-driven experiences. What are data-driven experiences? So there are different types of data-driven experiences that I have spoken about. Uh, Number one, for instance, UX UI. Now, if you are a bank, it doesn't matter how many tens of millions uh, you are investing in uh, advertising your products. If your uh, banking app does not have a great user experience, does not have a great user interface, if people do not find it intuitive, convenient, efficient, flexible, there is no way you are going to have a strong brand. So UX UI has 
move to the center of uh, how brands are perceived. Similarly, uh, you see a lot of betas being used to build brands. Uh, you know, unfinished products, not yet uh, proven to have a, a market uh, necessarily, but highly inspiring in how they push the boundaries of uh, possibilities. So a very good example will be, for instance, Google Glass. If you see Google Glass, uh, Google wasn't sure that there was a real market for that product for many, many years. And ultimately, they actually shut it down. But for several years, that was the beacon that charged up the Google brand that told the world that Google is one of those transformative organizations that is augering the future. So that is uh, uh, another aspect. Another aspect is, for instance, personalization at scale. You know, if you look at mass media and look, you look at the history of the world, uh, mass media and mass, mass marketing is actually an anomaly. For thousands of years, all marketing was personal. Original marketing was all personal. You know, in villages, they would make pots and the potter knew every family. They knew their context and circumstances. They would create things that are just uh, made to order as the person may want. Uh, original marketing was all personal. Mass marketing is an anomaly. But we see with the power of data that once again, uh, we are able to uh, serve different messages, different media content to different people. So your Facebook feed is very different from my Facebook feed. And that applies to us already in terms of media and content. Personalization at scale is being delivered with the help of data. In communication, uh, I think there's a lot of targeting uh, happening in this space, but in terms of messaging, in terms of overall customer value proposition, it has a long way to go. But that is another dimension of how data-driven experiences uh, offer a big blue ocean of opportunities. And of course, beyond that, there are industry 4.0 technologies, for instance, augmented reality, virtual reality, the, the whole space of metaverse with uh, NFTs and uh, AI-enabled uh, brand experiences. They all offer the blue ocean of customer value opportunities. IOTs, B2C, IOT products, once again, will unlock new areas of customer value that have not been imagined uh, so far. Mm, very exciting. Um, I also want to touch on sustainability and ESG. You know, it seems to be like all the major corporations and even smaller businesses, they want to champion ESG. They want to talk about sustainability. In your opinion, how can an organization be truly more sustainable? Because we're actually talking about preparing for the future, for the long run, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would like to make two key points there. Number one, I believe that uh, every business Every organization exists because they have they are a set of competencies that are relevant and useful for the society, right? So every organization exists because it serves a useful purpose for the society. Uh, that's different from, for instance, humans, where just being a human, you entail a certain right to exist, right? So, which means that every company is a set of competencies, every organization is a set of competencies. I believe that when we talk about purpose, the best way to for an organization to contribute to the purpose is to see how they can leverage what their individual competencies are into driving a larger societal purpose beyond just profits. So in order to enable that, in order to enable the application of, a, of an organization's competencies 
to the larger societal purpose, uh, I have proffered a model which is called the Brand Ikigai Framework, which actually uh, seeks an overlap. It's, it's a Venn diagram that seeks an overlap uh, between what the company is really great at, uh, what values does it hold close to its heart, uh, what does the, uh, the world need, and uh, what do its customers need? So it seeks to find an overlap between the four to come up uh, with a brand ikigai or a business ikigai. So that is uh, one way to look at it because in the name of purpose, there are all sorts of unrelated, uh, unproductive investments being made. There is also tremendous greenwashing going on. There is a lot of hypocrisy in the uh, area. There's a lot of lip services being paid in the area where people spend more money advertising their purpose instead of actually making a difference to the genuine purpose. The second aspect is, this is for the governments, that how they look at organizations from the lens of sustainability. And there, I have spoken about two key dimensions. So we all look at economic value added for an organization, but we do not look at the deficit side of that. We look at the credit side of that. We do not look at the deficit side of that. So if, let's say, for instance, uh, a company is burning a lot of is lowering the water table in a particular geography that is an economic deficit that it is creating we uh, we do not count that enough similarly the other dimension that we talk about is social value added credit and deficit so if a company is uh, for instance uh, driving uh, more sophisticated technology in an ecosystem and hence building higher uh, quality skills uh, that is clearly clearly a social value credit. But on the deficit side, if because of that thousands of people are losing their jobs, then that deficit has to be factored in as well. And if you look at a lot of issues that America has had, and especially what led to uh, the, the election of Donald Trump, you realize that the social value deficit was not factored in the American uh, economic and regulatory framework in the last 20 to 30 years. Okay. And um, another thing that I want to talk about is um, moving into a cookie-less world. You know, the way we interact with brands has drastically changed over the last two years. You know, mobile growth, e-commerce, all of this has accelerated at lightning speed. And this year, we found ourselves going cookie-less. So what are your thoughts on this and how is this going to impact brands and businesses in the future? So uh, it clearly... Uh, the, the, the scene in the last uh, 20 years when it came to cookies, third-party uh, data collection, it, it had become a wild, wild west. Uh, that clearly needed to be tamed, all right? Uh, so we are moving towards a cookie-less world and there are companies like Apple and now increasingly Google that are taking very, very concrete steps in that area. Uh, however, I would like to make two very important points. Number one, privacy means different things to different people. And somebody uh, made this quip that privacy is a problem of rich and old people. Now, that may not be entirely true. Uh, but if you look at how uh, Europe uh, reacts to issues of privacy, that's very different from how China reacts to the issues of privacy. It's very different from how Philippines reacts to the issues of privacy as a population. So uh, my privacy is different from your privacy, for instance. It's a very personal thing. 
that is point number one. And I think any regulation, any uh, control elements introduced into that space much res- much must respect that individual uh, right to exchange data. And I think Web 3.0, the ideals, uh, yeah. the vision is uh, conceived uh, to be able to capture that uh, individualism and that right to share or not share certain types of data with certain types of players. So that is number one. Number two, it is very important to understand that uh, the way new human technologies, media technologies are evolving, all the technology, I mean, industry 4.0 technologies that uh, directly apply to uh, human experience, say, for instance, IOTs or AI or uh, blockchain or uh, say, uh, extended reality, which is metaverse, what you realize is that all these technologies derive a lot of their power because of that meaningful exchange of value between people's personal data and the value that corporations can give them in return for that data. All right. So let us not forget that the, the exchange of data for value, a meaningful exchange, has the power to fuel the next level of technological evolution, evolution of the human living experience. And that needs to be factored in, in any moves we make towards that space. If you look at the last 5,000 years, one of the defining aspects of all technological development has been the humankind's quest to live more life per life. All right. So for thousands of years, what this meant is uh, wanting to live a longer life, immortality, like aging is an ageless cause. However, this has taken two new dimensions in the last 20 years. So, for instance, uh, one dimension is that we try to live more life in each moment. So, you know, uh, we may be working on a laptop. Parallelly, we may be checking our WhatsApp and we might be talking to somebody who is sitting in front of us on the desk. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to fit in three parallel lives, we are multi-lifing in the same moment, all right? And it is possible because technology enables that. Now, there is a third dimension that has come into people's lives, which is people want to live uh, life as a series of S-curves. So every 12 to 15 years, they pivot their lives a bit. They, they, they change their profile. They join a new industry. They may change a new country. They may uh, move their house. They may go for a new hairstyle. They may learn something new. So people want to live multiple diverse set of lives in the same lifespan. So life as a series of S-curves is another manifestation of this quest, this very fundamental Darwinian quest to live more life per life. Now, obviously, if you think about it, all this creates tremendous complexity into in our lives, right? And data is the only way to address that complexity because data can make it simple. So privacy ultimately is a balance. And uh, any uh, societal control, regulatory control, corporate management of that privacy needs to be nuanced enough to allow for technological evolution. That is very important. So that human experience can continue to move to the next level, to the next level. Right. 
Wow, Prashant, that was really uh, jam-packed and I can only imagine the contents of the book. For our listeners tuning in who'd like to go out and purchase your book, find your book, where can they do that? I'm told by Penguin. So Penguin has published this and I'm told by them that it's available in Kinokunia, in Time Store, in all the MPH and popular stores in Klang Valley. Uh, but if you're not in Klang Valley or even if you're in Klang Valley, if you like to order online you can order it from kinokunia online yep i think that's probably the best place to order it from excellent and for more information on entropia uh, where can our listeners go maybe you can give them our web- the website uh, well it's on uh, www.entropia.com but we are also a part of accenture now so you could also look for accenture song which is the part of accenture which we are uh, now integrated with so please google accenture song Entropia. Once again, Prashant, congratulations uh, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much, Audrey, as always. I've been speaking with Prashant Kumar, founder of next-gen marketing services firm Entropia. Uh, my name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.